Joining me now, my good friend, Master Gardener, Barb Lamson. Hey, Barb. Karen, it's good to be here. Hey, let me just say, I woke up this morning, took a look out the window, saw the new snow, and thought, I don't care what anybody says, it is beautiful. <laughs> I, you know, it, it it's inconvenient in some respects, but when you look outside, and it's so calm. Oh, it's beautiful. And yeah. the trees are covered with that white snow. Um, it, it, there's, there's a, there's, it's very calming but and hey, very Barb, peaceful. But hey, Barb, we're Minnesotans. If we didn't have weather to complain about, what else would we talk about? Uh, well, we talk <laughs> about, we talk about things we're going to do in the spring and in the summer. Yes. And I mean, we're just always living for when we can get back outside again. Well, that's us as gardeners, right? And so I got to tell <clears> you something that's pretty exciting. You know, my son Grant, who's 15. Yes. He's been interested in breeding <laughs> lilies now. And we had, uh, Two years of failures. The first year, uh, he he started and he crossed a couple of Asiatic lilies. That's his specific interest. And we had the seed pods and we planted the seeds. Nothing grew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So the next year, well, we're going to go at this again. So I had a couple of big spruce trees that were kind of dying anyway, torn down, made two big new gardens, and it was all Grant's lily garden. Right. Planted all these varieties that he chose, you know, specific ones. And... With, they were looked like they were coming along pretty good. Within a week, chomp, 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 all chewed down. So that's, you know, basically. The deer. Yeah, the deer. So yeah. uh, I thought, well, you know, we didn't have any success. We need to go to some professionals. Good. So I had put a note out on the, uh, it's the North Star Lily Society, mm-hmm. which is Minnesota's Lily right. Association. It's only like $5 a year to join. So, I mean. Right. Let's really, all belong. Yeah, let's all belong. And this is um, for different kinds of lilies, not uh, day lilies per se, so much as it's Asiatic and Martagon and, and that sort of thing. Sure. But, so I just said, hey, I've got a son who's interested in doing this. And I finally got someone on the the, the Facebook page that says, hey, I'd be interested in mentoring him. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to ask my friend as well, because he's actually made a variety that's listed in the Royal Order of the English Society... <laughs> of lilies lilies or something like yeah 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 and so i um so we went up this past weekend up to chaska and a nice lady named peg nerdall and a guy named forrest piper they um worked with my son and me i was there too i was taking pictures for his 4-h book of course and we learned all about hybridizing lilies why some you can cross with others you know tetraploids versus diploids mm-hmm. you know the differences in chromosomes i mean so this was genetic testing sure learning i should say and then they showed us a couple different methods how to plant the seeds how to be more successful one was in the <clears throat> traditional method in the dirt and then Peg says she uses a water method where she actually puts the seed in these bags plastic bags and for a week she'll put some water and let them soak to get the tannins and I didn't know this but apparently lily seeds have a tannin a, a protective coating on it and so after a week the uh, soaking in the water and draining it out and soaking it again should wash this off and then uh, then uh, you quit washing them twice a day and then just go to put them in the bag that they're moist and then when you see your first sprout then you take a tweezers and you plant them isn't that exciting and you know what Karen I think I, I just can't help but think that this might be a method that we could use for other things oh, to yeah. get things to germinate. It's a much better way. You can observe it. You have much more control that way. When you plant your seed and you plant it in the soil, you don't see it. You don't know what's well, going on. This way you see it. And Forrest, the the um, one guy, the other guy that <clears> was helping him, he does a traditional method in the soil. And Peg does it in these, these plastic bags so you can see them. And she has a better germination rate. So, I mean, that might be something. Well, there's the proof of the pudding right 
right there. And do you know what we learned why the first year why our seeds didn't germinate? Why? Well, I didn't know this, but apparently there's different varieties of lilies. Uh, one of them had the longiflorum. That's a certain uh, specific species of the lilies. You know, there's Asiatic lilies. Sure. There's Mardigan lilies. Well, the longiflorum is a sterile ah. one. So uh, while we crossed it, that's why the seeds didn't sprout. Oh, sure. Of and course. so I learned that. You know what else I learned about that I think is really important for people? You know, Easter lilies. Right. Everybody gets Easter lilies, you know, church, right, you take them home right. and say, my sister planted them in the soil. But do you know you're not supposed to do that? You see, you know, um, I, I I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. But I am not surprised that there's so many failures with with that particular lily. Because well, you can grow them, but it... Not always. Well, my sister did, but they add a virus to the soil. Yeah. And I said, well, why do they have this virus? Well, I learned from these lily people... Easter lilies are actually inoculated to get this virus so they don't grow too tall. This is basically stunts their growth so they, you know, stay sure. a nice whatever 12 yeah. inches and versus going way tall like some lilies do. And so they say, whatever you do, that's a plant. Buy and throw it away. You don't want okay. that in your ground. So now I know so that. So you probably don't want that in your compost pile either. No. Because you'd put that, that uh, virus, virus right in there and you'd spread it. So, well, that was, I mean, that was great. And good luck to Grant. And you have to, you have to let us know how things go. And Stay tuned. Yes. And the new things that you're learning. And, you know, Asiatic lilies. I have always loved the Asiatic lilies. And I remember when a stargazer came out, I just couldn't wait to get that that lily and I had great success until the deer started coming oh. you know getting out of the ravine and coming up in the yards now is the stargazer one that has a fragrance um or doesn't it? because I, I also learned if they have a fragrance they're they're probably sterile right so and yeah. and do you know why the Asiatic lilies are are cheaper than if you have to buy martagon lilies because martagon yes pretty expensive. I do know because it takes longer for them it to takes bloom and grow and yes to, right so to start from seed <clears throat> an Asiatic lily takes from two to three years martagon lilies seven years yeah that's a big so, investment yeah. that's a that's a long time to wait so for those people that uh, have your Asiatic lilies very different lilies you know along the side you're getting new bulblets yes. so you can take those and you can set those out too and uh, who knows you know what that's going to be then it, if it's if it's if it was a cross it's it's not necessarily going to be true to the one that you saw flowering in the garden that you got it from it could be something totally different yeah because most people aren't going to start your lilies by seed it's really labor intensive right. and you know when you complain about the cost of plants sometimes yeah. there there's a lot of time and effort that oh goes my in goodness that. and yeah. and you know that's just the beginning right you have to introduce them and find a market for them people have to and there's trends like maybe one year they're just uh crazy about any kind of a hostel that comes on the market and then that changes and then they're looking at lilies and then they're looking at different things i mean that's what we do we're always trying to find that <clears throat> new plant that we can introduce to our garden that's going to be hardy it's going to be colorful it's going to meet our our need and that's not necessarily what the market is telling us right and they told me the trend <clears throat> in lilies now is pe more people going toward martagon lilies and martagon lilies i've started planted them last year 
for the first time and they are ones that can stand more shade so if you've got a hosta garden they can add these pops of color throughout Mm -hmm. your garden and Mm -hmm. so i'm like well why not yeah right right very expensive yeah Uh, they are but i think they're worth it yeah i i i agree as long as they grow but you know um i bought uh some martagon lilies and they were 25 dollars a bulb and i just bought a couple Mm -hmm. and um i had them by the hostas and they just um they survived but they really didn't thrive and bloom and um i don't know if the bulbs themselves were too small too immature if i should have just left so then i moved them i thought they needed more sunlight and i eventually killed them okay just, so well you know that that's the thing sometimes with plants we we do things and and right i was he, they were also talking about some of the hybrids like the orientals mm-hmm. um they will not live as long so i'm not going to plant the orientals because you plant right. them and they're they're these hybrids and they just don't lasts yeah. as long so you're going to have to be buying more new ones so i thought well i'm not going to do that right right even though well, they're pretty so yeah. hopefully um people will uh, take a look at the lily society the state lily society um and their facebook and they have events going on they well, have the got... lily garden at the arboretum the yes. landscape arboretum and those are named varieties so you can go there and you can say hey i just love this and you know when the uh, landscape arboretum when they have their big sale um, if you want unique plants, you might want to consider visiting and seeing what they've got for sale. You know, the Lily Society is having its sale on April 25th, which is the same day as our Education Day. So Jeff's going to have to take Grant up there so I can be here at the Education Day. Right, right. We <laughs> may have to send our orders up them. Hey, I want to just brag a little bit about Master Gardeners. You know, we talk about them a lot, and, and I don't know if it's clear to people just how many hours and what Master Gardeners all do, but last year, according to the state, the state Master Gardeners volunteered 143,821 hours. That's almost 144,000 hours. That's free time that was given to the community. And they reached 195,000 people. That's uh, children and children's programs, adults, uh, just all kinds of programs. And they themselves uh, uh, volunteered and received 26,509 hours in additional training. Well, now that's interesting you mentioned that because I had somebody... Uh, say to me when I said I was a master gardener, they thought that I just called myself that because I like to garden. And oh. that's not the case. It, a master <laughs> no. gardener is like, they said, well, what, is, what does that really mean? Sure. Uh, well, it means that we have to go through intensive training right. and continue that training. Right. But I think they just thought, I thought because I was a, a big gardener, I just called myself a master gardener. So yeah, there's a difference. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's a great program. It's very cost effective. It's great for uh, Minnesota. And, uh, you know, they, they're are master gardeners throughout the country, uh, throughout the United States. So I've met with the uh, master gardeners in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and they do things just a little bit differently up there. And uh, it's, it's just fun when you have that connection. When you are a master gardener, you can go all over and you're welcome there and they'll talk to you and share with you. And, and the goal is that we educate people. It's not to do right. do project. It's to educate people so they can sustain yes. the, the programs. And you know... That is a great segue into a newspaper article I read last week, and it was about 
uh, Minneapolis, and it was about the downtown area, how they are having this problem with their boulevard trees, the trees that they're planting. They don't last more than one or two years. They have such a loss of trees. And they said, well, you know, you can't dissect a tree and find out what's wrong with it. So they finally decided to take a look at the soil. And the soil was so salty. And it was from all the salt that's put on the sidewalks and is pushed up from the streets. And now they decided that since they're close to the Mississippi River, that they should uh, connect with them and find out um, what the Mississippi Watershed Organization, what they would recommend them doing. And what they said was, start with education. You have to educate these people that more is not better. So, And that's what I read, too, is the problem is people think more is better. And if you see lumps <laughs> of salt, I mean, I see it out here outside the door yes. here. And when you walk in and you tra- track it all in, the salt is pretty effective and you don't really need that much. No, that's exactly right. So now they have a new model, which is cleaner, greener, uh, and more attractive. Well, you know, 15 years ago, they said they weren't even concerned about about the trees and lack of them. But now they're realizing if you want to have some place where people are going to come, it should be green. It should be welcoming. It needs to be green, and you need to have shade trees. So we're beginning to value that. But what is so sad to my way of thinking is anybody that was planning for a city, you should have education about the soil and the soil requirements would, and protecting it. It should be a requirement. Yeah, exactly. And how this stuff, how this uh, salt gets in the uh, sewers, uh, uh, storm sewers, and gets into our waterways. We have uh, many, many waterways that have so much chlorine in them. There is no way of getting that back out again. It kills It kills fish. It, it kills uh all aquatic life. It just is so harmful. And yet, here people are spending uh, all kinds of money. They're using all kinds of water uh, and and to no avail, simply because they didn't have the education. So if you're going to do anything, uh, educate yourself about it. It's like your son. And uh, not only does he have an interest, but now he has a mentor. And when he has a problem, so many times you think you're doing everything right, but you don't know where to look for the problem. He'll have these people have been doing this for a long, long time. And you mentioned having mentors. You know, we looked at, people say, well, why don't you just go watch YouTube? And we did. We, we, inter- or we, uh, um, researched on the internet, you know, looked at books and things, but it just was not the same as learning from someone directly that can tell you right. where kind of the trouble spots might come, and that was such a big help. Yeah, and I can say too that just from visiting a garden, uh, when we have garden tours, or we uh, invite people to our home to look at our gardens, or wherever you go and there's a garden, you can learn something. If you you talk to the person, they'll tell you uh, how easy this was to grow, the successes as well as the failures that they've had, and uh, any special uh, climates or environments that they've got. These microclimates that you can create in your own yard, which 
which make it conducive to growing certain things that other people can't do. Well, we, we even talked about how I have zero success with my house plants, and you were just saying how yours were flourishing, and I said, well, what am I doing wrong? I mean, some of them are the same plants. Sure. And so part of it is, I mean, I I obviously just don't have the ideal condition. So I want to chat a little bit about that. You said yours are just going like gangbusters, and they mine are. are dying. They, they don't realize that... Uh, it's winter and there's less sunlight, but uh, I guess everything is uh, going well for them. So I do have uh, a vaporizer that I use, which um, is the Sonic uh, uh, vaporizer. So it puts out this very, very, very fine mist. So that humidity might be one of the keys. Uh, humidity is really good. And you know, just if you are a person who's uh, living in your home and you're cooking every day, uh, you are making humidity. You're producing this humidity. And then in this uh, south window that I have, which is a big bay window, uh, I have 28 plants. So these plants, when you start grouping them together like that, they help each other because they are giving off their moisture into the air too and they're helping each other so I think uh, that is really important well mine are downstairs by a patio door and cold. I think it's probably colder and yeah. probably not as bright and right. the humidity you know even if we're cooking it, it's downstairs so sure it's and the other thing is when you have something that's right in your face right up close you think you're seeing it. it every day yeah. and so as I go by if I see a leaf that doesn't look right I pluck that off and I and I turn the plants almost daily on some of these plants so that they're growing getting what sun there is uh, all the way around the plants and Barb pl- talks to them too Yes, and I do talk to them, and I say, okay, little darling, it's your turn to go in the sink. You need a shower. (laughs) So keeping the leaves clean is really important because if they're not clean, they can't use the sun's energy to do their photosynthesis. Keep them as clean as possible. So if you have a spray in the sink, just spray them with lukewarm water and let them dry off in the sink and then put them back in their place again. But all of these things are really important. And then also, I like to take, I love chopsticks. I think chopsticks are, they're great to eat with, but they're also good for us gardeners. And I take my chopstick and and I go around on the plants and I poke little holes so that just because you're watering more often and it's in the house, you're probably, they're not, um, the soil around the plant doesn't get broken up. So you're doing that for them. So you take your, your, a little stick or a dibble, whatever you're using, and, and you go in and you aerate with that. And you don't, you should be careful. Don't get too close to the main stem coming out of the ground and, uh, do that on a regular basis. See, too. that's something else I'm not doing. So, see, I, I'm learning from you. Even though you say, "Well, you're a master gardener," shouldn't I know? You know, you can't be an expert in everything. No, you can't. And every you're not passionate about everything either. So, some things a person becomes more passionate about, and uh, and other things you kind of you like them, but you kind of let things slide a little bit. <laughs> and you know, life takes over. You have other things to do too. And then, of course, uh, having good drainage in your pots is really such an important thing uh, that you can't have a plant sitting in water that is absolutely the worst thing between that and letting it dry out two things that most plants don't like at all well so I'm taking cuttings and there's a couple of ways to do that you know you can take the cuttings and and uh, take the new growth and put them just in water 
in tepid water, put them by your sink where there's lots of humidity, and they will develop roots for the most part. But an even better way is to take your cutting and dip it in rooting hormone and then put it in sphagnum or, or in um, sand, which has been wet, and, and they really do well in, the, in that area. But you have to be checking to see that your sphagnum or your sand is, is moist because they, they need that. And again, they, they don't want, you don't ever put them in bright sunlight. Here's where an east window would be good or a north window would be good. So they're getting light, but they're not getting that bright sunlight. And if you think you don't have enough humidity, you can just um, take a plastic bag and uh, put some holes in it and make a tent over it. That'll work for you. Sometimes I have uh, plastic, like a, okay, a peanut butter jar is very good. It's plastic nowadays. And if you have a just a, a small container and you have your uh, plant in there that you're rooting, uh, take and turn that over on that and then uh, check on it to see if it's, you don't want things to get too too humid, but for the most part in the winter, that's not going to happen here in Minnesota. Our houses are just too dry because we're heating and heating all the time. And for heaven's sakes, when it's really cold, uh, pull the plants away from the window because it gets cold even if you have triple glazed that's, windows. That's I'm sure a big problem of mine because they're probably getting too, too cold. Yeah, yeah. They just, they're they're tropical. They don't like that. You actually have built a wall for them. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. You have a wall. Barb's yeah. wall. I love it. Yes. So, so uh, houseplants are really fun. I saw when I was up at the uh, Como Park show in their, one of their um, uh, in the sunken garden they had a plant, and it was called uh, Zebrina. Um, let me see if I can find the name here again. Oh, my goodness. Um, hmm. And I can, oh, yes. Um, Cal- Calathea Zebrina. Okay. And that is just a beautiful plant. I am looking now for plants that have nice foliage not so much blooms but nice foliage on them so this was an indoor plant though this calathea zebrina yes. also known as a, you said it's a zebra plant mm-hmm. uh, but it's got just amazing uh, kind of elongated oval like leaves but the the veins are just highlighted so the, the the leaf is kind of a darker green and the veins are like a lime green it just pops yeah and it has um it has markings on it that that are just um uh, it, they're they're gorgeous. It, I thought, you know, this is really a nice plant uh, for just uh, just the foliage was was so really 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 nice. Now it's indoor, but are you going to try it? Put it outdoors because I know you do that with your house plant sometimes. I, I do, but here's the thing I've learned. You know, with my clivia, mm-hmm. that's an indoor, very tropical plant. Right. Last year, and I put that, and I thought in a sunny place, and it still was too much sun. Was too much. Yeah, it was, and so I had some sun scald. So if you have a beautiful foliage plant like this, you want to be very careful that you find a very shady spot and maybe just have it out there for a few hours and then take it back in again, put it in your porch or someplace like that. But watch it carefully. It's going to take more work. But you know, last year on my uh, on my porch on the north side, I had ferns that 
just uh, the ferns just loved that there had very light peaty soil for them and also for the begonias that are, and these were the tuber begonias you you start them with uh with a tuber and 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 I raised them as a companion plant and outdoors outdoors but last year was a lot moister than most too and a lot of things did a lot better last year too because of that yes and it was still it was on the north side but there was overhang from the roof so it wasn't getting direct sunlight as it was getting light though it was it was light out there so in order to do the photosynthesis we have to have you know sun's energy there to make that happen well, I actually uh, bought some bulbs. They're like regular light bulbs. Well, I mean, I think huh? they're the, I don't know if they're LED or not, but they're not like plant grow lights, like the long mm-hmm. eight foot ones. They're just regular ones that you screw in a lamp, Sure. but they've got the um, the right wavelengths. So I have it in what, what one of those overhead lamps that's got like five lights coming out and you can bend them down. And I've actually yeah. put that over my some of my plants. And those I tend to are tending to do better because they're getting right. a better light. Yes. Yes, that's great. You know, you can do that even with if you have a desk lamp or something. Yep. And then you can also take your plant and you can raise that up because they're, they're, the closer they get to the light, but you don't want them to burn, you know, that's easier for them to, to absorb that light. And they weren't that expensive. You know, I was thinking that you'd have to buy special to be a lot but I got them on sale, and so I thought, well, I'm going to try this. But I noticed that my philodendrum, it's the leaf-cut uh, philodendrum, and that's actually starting to get new growth because of that. Oh, that's that that's a, that's a good tip. Say, Karen, I was down in the basement. I was checking some of my little parcels down there that are in my cold storage room, and last year was the first year that I had raised gladiolas, and I had these beautiful bulbs, and I had these beautiful blooms, Mm -hmm. and they were late. And so I thought, I'm going to be very careful with my bulbs. And so I uh, put them in sphagnum, and I put them on, and and then I put them in a plastic bag, and then I put them on a shelf. I have um, aluminum shelves down there that these uh, containers go into that I'm keeping over for the winter. Went down there, and... Honestly, are they sprouting? They were, oh, but what, what was what the plastic bag? Okay, the 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 sprout had come up, and it had it had stabbed itself right through the plastic bag. <laughs> now this was just one of those, you know, that you get in the store that you put mm-hmm. vegetables in or something, so sure. it wasn't heavy. And and the uh, the the green on it was really stiff. It was very very mm. stiff. So okay, so now. It's too early. It's, it is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take a pot, um, a regular clay mm-hmm. pot, and I'm going to put some good soil in there. And I'm going to have to plant them into that and then hopefully can get it outside when it's warm enough. But uh, why would this this glad think that it was time that it should? Well, is it cool enough? Because sometimes they need to be a little cooler. It's very cool. Oh. It's, it's a cool room. It doesn't get okay. heat down there. It's very cool. But... I bought these bulbs in Georgia. Hmm. Do you think their timing was off? Oh, you know, maybe it's like their circadian rhythm like we have, and they're yeah. used to Georgia, and Georgia, of course, is a longer season. Yeah, and so we who would knows? Be, we'd be, we'd be uh, yeah. now in February, March, we can start planting those things in. So I don't they're know. They're in another time zone, yeah. apparently. But beautiful bulb, beautiful growth coming up there, but it's just like a spike. Yeah. That, and it's very, oh. very straight, and yeah, so I've got to do something with it, so stay tuned. Well, you know, I... I had the canna bulbs, and they would start 
uh, popping up early, but that was when I had him here in the Mankato house because it was just too warm. I am out at the lake house where we keep the temperatures pretty low, right. and so last year I didn't have that problem. So I was that's why I mentioned temperature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, everything else looked really fine down there. As a matter of fact, I had one amaryllis that had broken through the soil, and it it also was sending up its flower spikes. So uh, it's strange things have different. Um, different uh, rhythms, I guess. Absolutely. Hey, Barb, it's always great to chat with you. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, Karen. All right. Always great to talk plants with Barb, Barb Master Gardener.